Hello, welcome to Boss Woman, a podcast about women, comedy, and business. My name's Katie, and this is my mum, Karen. two wonderful women who worked with the Gilded Balloon way back in the day and you're going to hear all about that. They are Edwina Lund, Director of Programming at the Melbourne Art Centre and Linda Catalano, who is the producer of Breeze Factory. Katie, I'd love to tell you something about these <laughs> wonderful women. Please do. Edwina Lund actually was our general manager way back in 2001. Shall we, shall we hear one of their voices quickly? Hello. Hi. <laughs> there she is. That's yeah, Edwina. For real. For real. Karen taught me everything I know from 2001 to 2004. <laughs> and hello, Linda. Hello. <laughs> oh, lovely, soft Linda. Never argue with a Linda. <laughs> did you never argue, really? No, we no, never, we never argued. We never argued. I don't believe not? that. No, we did all the time. <laughs> Actually, I can't believe you would even think about lying. Did we? Or question? Did we? We argued all the time. <laughs> did we not always won, though? Yeah, oh, just that's so what you, you know. think. <laughs> tell you a story and Edwina can tell me if this is true. Edwina wrote to me and told me how much she wanted to work for me. Really? Because I did. What do you mean? Sorry. What do you mean? Really? (laughs) Wrote to you as in, did you send an email or did you write a letter? Did emails exist then? 2001. Yes, 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 I wrote you an email. It wasn't a letter. (laughs) It wasn't a postcard. (laughs) But but having said that, she had done two shows already at the Guild Balloon. um, Was that Greg's the musical? No, this was was before. This was when um, I was working with a force and we were called the High Miners and we did two shows. Yeah. First show we did was called Life Get It Up Ya. And they yeah. walked around with knitted oh, yeah, naked suits yeah. on. Yeah. Don't you remember that? You no. weren't allowed to see it, right? Yeah, I know. It, it was a bit rude. It was a bit rude. the first show of that you ever did at Melbourne Uni. Yeah. I was in the mm. Really? I'm sorry, Linda. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, yes, I saw the first I one. Did. I but did. It did, it did, did make me laugh. laugh. It did make me laugh because my, my friend Claire Watson, who ended up directing my stand-up shows was a part of yeah, the homeowners. Yeah, she was part of our group. But we, Helen Mirren came to our show. We were in the Helen Mirren? Yes, I know, we were beside ourselves. I'm not surprised. In Edinburgh? Yeah, in Edinburgh, when we were at Guildwood, and so did Stephen Dennis from Neighbours. <laughs> oh, imagine, imagine the phone calls home to Mum. Yeah, yeah. Helen Mirren so and proud, so Stephen proud. Dennis from Neighbours. <laughs> I don't I think Helen Mirren will remember it, do you? Or maybe she... She might remember Yeah, it. maybe it's why she's never come back to the fringe. Oh, sorry, <laughs> God, yeah. Was that life getting up here that that was life get it up. Anyway, so we did two shows and and then we came back the next Meaning, year and we did another show called Goodbye Mr. Beach, which didn't do quite as well, but because um, the other one had nude suits. It was, was that yeah. it was a yeah. great gimmick. But was that the one with the dog Yeah, uh, it was the dog jumping, jumping out of a police car yeah, or something? It was a we were <laughs> we were police we were members of the police band in mm-hmm. a hostage situation. The kind of show you wouldn't do in the modern yeah, day. Yeah, you sure. don't take an audience hostage no. as a joke anymore. <laughs> cool. Um it's so like the audience yeah. yeah, we took the audience hostage. Did you see the show, Karen? It was yeah, like the Gilbert Blue. It was your venue. show. You programmed it. Anyway, um, and then and then I went I went to live in London and at the time I was working I was well, I used to be a, a lawyer, so I went to London and I had my two year visa. Mm-hmm. 
and oh this is gonna I hope this oh, anyway I shouldn't get in trouble for this anymore but so I went to live in London and I didn't like it and it was mm-hmm. really stupid so I remember writing to Karen and saying um why would, I think what would I should come and work for? For, Well, because I overstayed my visa. Or <laughs> oh, I came to work for you and overstayed my visa. <laughs> I don't blame people illegally, you know. We don't. Like, <laughs> I never got caught. And, yes. um, so we're grand. No, yeah, I never got caught and it's too late now. Yeah, that exactly. passport has expired. Yeah. No one <laughs> But you do get in big trouble for stuff like that now. Yeah, don't do Back that. in 2000, maybe not so much. Yeah, yeah. Um, they, weren't, they didn't care so much. So then I did write. I was, I was living in London and I wasn't very happy. And But I had remembered how much I had learnt and loved about coming to Gilded Balloon as a performer and essentially we were our own producers and we made these shows work and we had great success. So I had a really interesting perspective on the fringe which is if you have a really great show you don't have to be a big name, people will come. And I'd loved festivals so I remember writing to you and said I'm coming up to Edinburgh, can I meet you? And um, and I said I think you should give me a job and I have three reasons why you should give me a job and I can't remember what those three yeah. reasons oh, were. Do we know what Yeah, there were three reasons why you should give me a job, and um, you believed me, and you gave me a job. (laughs) (laughs) And why wouldn't I? Because that's the thing, you studied law, you write comedy, you perform comedy, you ran the Darnwood Arts Festival, and you worked for us as general manager, and you were with us um, when the fire came. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was one of the last people in in the building, and I remember that day so clearly, because you, it was a weekend... Was working because it was in December. It was the seventh of December. It was. Yeah, seventh of December. Because um, we were getting things ready. We'd just done Winter Wonderland, and I was about to head home mm. to see my family back in Melbourne. So there was a lot of work that had to be done. And I was just getting things ready, and you were in the office too, Karen, because um, Eve was coming, your That's granddaughter, right. and yeah. she was coming on that day, and you'd just been shopping to get some things, mm-hmm. and. I think, um, I think we said, made some joke about this baby's going to have fire in her belly and then the Gilded oh, Blend went down. <laughs> of course. But it was a... Trust you to me. I really do it. remember that. Yeah, of course, well, how could you not remember that day? But I would always, I'll always remember the date. I'll always remember that, that mm. we were both in that building in, in the afternoon that day. My, my feeling is I was so grateful that Edwina was around there because then, because we discussed what we... Because we didn't know what to do. We honestly didn't not know what to do yeah all you we know, could do was joke about it. I remember sitting around your kitchen table <laughs> with a pen and a piece of paper and going, well, this is the office. <laughs> got some supplies. We made jokes about how much we hated that photocopier anyway. <laughs> you, know, you could only laugh when you, you know, when you really want to cry. And I then, know. Um, and then I think we did at least one more, if not two more, festivals together mm-hmm, after mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. And when we, and then we came up here to, we'd done TV yet, so yeah. we did a lot more up here. Yeah. But that's right, and mm. the big thing that I'll always remember is the the day of the comedy uh, the comedy awards Award. lunch oh, yeah. is always the day that too much drink is consumed, and consumed? we consumed, and we were walking along the grass market afterwards, and Edwina went into one of these antique shops and bought a pineapple ice bucket. <laughs> You know, retro pineapple ice bucket, and she did not let that pineapple ice bucket out of her hands for the rest of the day. And how she much was did running. it annoy you? Oh, no, no. 
Oh, it annoyed me <laughs> so much. For no enough. reason other than yeah. I was carrying a pineapple ice bucket. Yeah, yeah, so exactly. that's why I didn't put it down. <laughs> that's exactly why you didn't put it down. Yeah. I spent how much it wound you up. <laughs> and then, and then for the rest of that festival, tins of pineapple kept showing up <laughs> everywhere. Oh, yeah, everybody did tease you like mad. Uh, do you still have that ice bucket? No, I don't, no, I don't know where it is. Oh, that's it's yeah. gone. Oh, it's gone. gone. Now we have to talk to Linda because Linda Catalano came and also did a show. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. You were both Mary, performers. I can't even remember the year it was. I don't think I remember the year it was. I it was it the first one after the fire. So it would have been 2002. Three. 2003, Three. of course. <laughs> yes. I remember arriving in Edinburgh and Edwina was the first person I saw. And she, really? she yeah, I came in. And hopefully she gave you a hug. She didn't say, go and perform over there. No, she did give me a hug because she's one of the few people I knew here. Sure. Because like I said before, Edwina and I kind of knew each other from uni and we had some friends in common. We didn't know each other super well because sure. Edwina had been living here and I was over there. Um, but... Uh, Claire Watson, who was part of the homeowners, directed the show that I brought here, Claws Out. Sure. And Claire came with me that year as well. So Claire and I kind of rolled into this building and Edwina pointed us, gave us some keys and pointed us at a flat. And the flat was above the Kebab Mahal in Nicholson Square. <laughs> oh, fabulous. So you could just roll out of the Gilded Balloon. And and, and that was my first introduction to the Fringe and to to Edinburgh. So it's actually lovely that Edwina's sitting next to me. So and what, we're having what is amazing that both yeah. of you started as performers as a Before. Watching as convinced you to work for <laughs> after performing. <laughs> well, um, your story is slightly different in that you met the production manager and you fell in love. But that wasn't that year. I did a whole year as a performer before I met uh, before I met Stodge. Is that yeah. right? Yes. Yeah, so the first year I came here and we never met uh, because my show was on at five o'clock and Mark Swanson was doing the days and yeah. Stodge was Mark doing Swanson. the nights. And yeah. so I so never... So it wasn't Mark Swanson you ran off with? No. <laughs> uh, so I actually never really... I knew who Stodge was, but we never really met sure. that first year. It wasn't until... Uh, well, Karen, you explained to me that I was a producer because I didn't think of myself as a producer. Mm. I thought of myself as a performer. And then Karen said to me, well, who's paying for everything? And I said, I am. And she said, right, well, you're the producer. <laughs> yeah. right. It's a pretty good question. Yeah. <laughs> Who's paying for it? Yeah. Yeah, they're the person in charge. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I just had no... Like, I, didn't, I didn't know my ass from my elbow when I came here. And actually, I haven't really introduced you properly because now you are the producer of Briefs Factory. Yes, and I pay for it. And yeah, you pay, you for still it. pay for it. Briefs yeah. Factory and Hot Brown Honey are a brilliant all-woman uh, show which is on here at the Gilded, Gilded Balloon. Balloon after all these years because Briefs came to the Gilded Balloon in the late 2000s. Was it or, you know, how long ago was it? This when is our seventh fringe. Really? Right, and it's so it was probably 2008, 2009. They were here and um, you got hold of them just shortly after that. Well, I was working um, at Art Centre Melbourne and I had been programming. So I used to take my annual leave and come to the fringe anyhow uh, and look around in my role when I was programmer there and I came across Did you you're not you didn't have the same job that that Edwina's got got a bigger fancier (laughs) job than I had. I was uh that's nice of you to say it's just harder and (laughs) fun. (laughs) You you were kind of researcher. Well I was programmer, producer, I did so many jobs at the art centre and I actually wouldn't have got that job if I hadn't worked here. So Gilded Balloon kind of changed uh, my whole career 
path because you pointed out that I was a producer and I was booking a room in Melbourne called Tony Starr's Kitten Club and had this late night show called Shaken and Stirred and mm. Karen came to see it in Melbourne and um, and she just looked at me and she said, why haven't you brought this to the Gilded Balloon? And I took that as my invitation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That was your invitation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and we did that for a number of years. That's and right. And when I got here, Karen threw other things at me. I did the first couple of years of Stephen K. Amos's talk show. Sure. And Jed Wood was doing Late and Live then and there are a couple of nights that he wanted to have off and Karen threw me at late and live and I had the best time doing and there are other things that you know like little things we were doing uh, like when Mervyn Stutter was in and he did a special of some kind and sure. needed some support and Karen would just say well you'll do that yeah uh, and so I learned a lot actually about what it means to be a producer in this building mm-hmm. uh, and then when I met the boys I knew that they should that's briefs by the way yes briefs <laughs> <laughs> so I saw them in a small uh in Melbourne and uh, I went to Vanessa Pygram who was my boss at the Art Centre at that time and I said to her I really want to program these boys and I think they should go to Edinburgh and she laughed at me she went to see them and she said well we can give them a few shows in Melbourne but good luck getting them to Edinburgh and I told everybody that I knew that they should go and one of yeah, my David Bates didn't have anything to do with it then no he was the one who actually David Bates is the famous Beagle Tent and so he and I were working very closely at the Art Centre and I was going in the back of the, the brief show every night standing on one leg and tilting my head to one side and I now know that that is my tell because David Bates told me that was how. <laughs> he knew that I really believed in that work mm-hmm. and he came up to me and said well if you believe in it so much why don't you do it? Good. Why don't you take them? Yeah. Now this podcast is about Katie learning the ropes. She's really taken charge of this podcast isn't she? Yeah well I've got <laughs> old friends here. <laughs> Same with the company, trying, trying. <laughs> what I'm over. trying to do, Katie, is bring you in on it now. And thank get you, you, thank to... you. Carry on, carry on. No, I'm, I'm trying to bring you in on it and tell them what, what, why we started this podcast. So over to you, Katie. <laughs> <laughs> so natural, the whole thing, isn't it? Um, yeah, the reason that we started this podcast was basically for a chance for Karen and I to sit down and talk and for her to pass on all this incredible knowledge that she has that she doesn't realise she has mm-hmm. and what we've been doing with guests is basically talking to them about their relationship with their mums uh, and then also what kind of life, lef- life lessons have been passed down to them whether it's from family or friends or whoever because what we've kind of realised whilst we've been talking is that you're passing down a lot of lessons that you've learned just through experience of doing this for so long so because otherwise we wouldn't talk yes we don't really unless we have scheduled time to talk then we never actually sit down and talk or we argue uh, yeah and I guess the place we'll start is just about your relationship with your mum I think we've got a pretty good relationship and sometimes it's difficult uh, being in business with as a mother-daughter combo but how about you guys has your mum been a big influence on your lives yeah, she has been. I've never worked with her. Yeah, probably. Um, yeah. I would, like we've. Did you work with your? We dad? can't even work in the kitchen together. <laughs> <laughs> it's either one person's domain or the other. Yeah, it's like sure. get, get out of my space yeah. and interfering. That's actually a really good example of how I, I could never work with my mother because mm-hmm. even at Christmas in the kitchen, it's um, it's like a war zone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I do love my mum, and I probably learnt a lot from her about her approach to life mm-hmm. and she comes to everything I've ever done she came to Edinburgh one year when, when I was here yeah. 
working for you, Karen, and started to, to get started to get the bug for seeing shows and I think and then we came they my both my parents came to Darwin when I was up there working at Darwin Festival and they come to they come to everything and now that there's a real Very approach to it as if um, they, they can have free tickets to everything <laughs> they'd ask me for free tickets to shows that we don't even have nothing to yeah. do with you yeah well, I'm off to Singapore can I have a ticket to this place yeah. um, like I'm in charge of everything yeah so they've always been interested in, and really supportive. Mm-hmm. Um, what I think is is quite interesting is that I have almost always worked for women. Yeah. In in terms of you know boss women, boss yeah. ladies. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know whether that's been an unconscious or subconscious decision, mm-hmm. but I've also I used to reflect on it and say I've only worked for difficult women. <laughs> <laughs> and I think perhaps that's that's, that's about the, Karen, are you there? Well, <laughs> Karen's one of them. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know that actually that that in terms of boss ladies who have been women, that they've actually been difficult. They've just yeah. been strong, tough women. Yeah. yeah. And if you think about it, I've been working be. since the you know, since the late nineties. That's a long career when women have had to mm-hmm. really fight for where they are yeah. and also do more than what their male counterparts have had to do so that their voice is heard. Because yeah. quite often, and not even just in this industry, but in any industry, men's voices are louder. And yeah. you have to shout louder to be heard over loud voices. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's difficult women that I've worked for. It's really passionate and hardworking women that I've worked for. And, yeah. I've, been, and I've been drawn to it. Yeah, and it's made you just as passionate. And, and difficult. As, and, <laughs> and loud. And probably difficult. I think I am actually a bit difficult. And and I, it's, I think it's another perspective of when you work and you lead people or you lead teams is that not everyone's going to like you. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. um, and you can't be liked by everyone, yeah. otherwise you'd be television yeah. and, um, and you'd be passive and you wouldn't be doing something that is changing the world. Yeah, it's definitely something that I'm learning because I, I do, like, just because I've started for the first time last year as director and then this is my second year as director, I do try and be liked a lot you know I want everyone to be happy and have a nice time and like me and and as we go through and problems happen and we're trying to fix things it's just becoming less and less but being liked being liked and being respected are really Uh, close things yeah yeah for sure and quite often people like and respect you when you are actually tough and you do lead really well stand up for what you believe in and I think that's true people want leadership and Mm -hmm. I I think women are described unfairly when they show that leadership Mm -hmm. because when a woman shows that leadership they're described as difficult yeah but when a a man shows that leadership it's simply described as leadership yeah exactly exactly yeah no I completely agree I found this in my pocket this morning and it's come all the way from Melbourne because I had a tough couple of weeks in Melbourne before I came here. She's got post-it notes. I've got these two tiny little pink post-it notes and this, I I mean, there's probably a reason why they're in my pocket and that they're pink because today's (laughs) Wednesday. Yeah, exactly. But I wrote this down a couple of weeks ago and it was that um, uh, if if leadership used to be about providing comfort, stability and solutions, but that's just really babysitting. Real leadership is asking the hard questions and pushing people out of their comfort zones mm-hmm. and then helping people manage their distress. Yeah. And, well, you can... I mean, would you say that that's something... I, I would think that's something that Karen... <laughs> Sorry, done. what you made me think of there was Donald Trump. Oh, my God! What? How? 
How? Because how oh, because he... he's pushing us out of our comfort zone. Yes, and oh, I wasn't supposed to come across that. <laughs> but, but he he would never ever. Um, manage their stress, would he? No, no, exactly. <laughs> he's not asking hard questions, he's asking stupid questions. Yeah, that's exactly. true. Exactly. But do you think no, hard, ridiculous Yeah, questions. ridiculous questions. He's not, that's not, that's right. not the leadership I was yeah. after. We're definitely not going to start talking Trust about Trump. Trump. Please, please, <laughs> um, Is that something that you both feel like Karen has done in your life, is pushed you into uncomfortable positions and because I think that's what you're pretty well known for is giving people too much responsibility p- perhaps before they're ready for it and then helping them through that process no? Well, pretty high expectations yeah yeah exactly I, I, my learning curve was extraordinary like it's not a joke when I say I learnt everything I learnt between 2001 and 2004 Karen mm. taught me because that's true Yeah. and my learning curve was extraordinary and then I went from working at Gilda Berlin to comedy festival in Melbourne yeah where I was managing the local program and that you can't walk into that job with no. absolutely no qualifications and experience yeah. other than working on the job and people who now come through this industry in events and in festivals they all have degrees mm-hmm. in certain levels of event yeah. management they're yeah. more qualified than I am no. I've just learnt on the job yeah. and you can only learn on the job if you have a great teacher mm-hmm. or someone who lets you learn on yeah. the job by giving yeah, but you, you responsibility you also have a great brain which you have thank you I do <laughs> <laughs> you do the, the way I produce now is still heavily influenced by what I learned from Karen mm. I assess risk in exactly the same way sure um, and I would never have had the opportunity to do that had I not come to work at Gilda Balloon it's actually just as simple as that mm-hmm. you know like what what is the risk how much do we think we can risk on this what do we think it's going to do and, and, that really that, yeah. and, then, and then risk more yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> That is what I do, but yeah. I learned that from Karen. Yeah. But you, you, I would never ever think of you as a difficult person, but I understand you can be in business it's because you're <laughs> passionate about brief what you're trying to do. Yeah. Your well, it depends on what you consider difficult because sometimes when I walk into a venue, I see everybody walk away from me because they know I'm going to ask them to do things that they don't want to mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. yeah. And it doesn't mean that I jump up and down in the way that I do it but yeah. uh, I don't think people think I'm a walk in the park when they uh, program a briefs factory show they know think... it's going to be hard and I'm going to ask things yeah. of them I'm going to ask questions yeah. and I think I don't know about you so much Edwina but I know that Linda and I we've had people think they can walk right over us about paying you know when you get I remember not so long ago you said I've not been paid for this and I said well you walk right in there and say you're not going in until you get the money or, you know, something satisfactory from them, you know, and, and, and they actually think that, you know, you're just a walk in the park and you're not. Well, and because of my stature and my demeanour, mm-hmm. people do think I'm a pushover. And Meaning that she's small. <laughs> she's small and beautiful. Oh. Um, but... You know, I can get really steely and it's actually those conversations with Karen over the years where you do lose confidence, especially when, you know, like I've got my house on the line when the shows go out. It's a very personal level of risk. And so I went from working somewhere secure like the art centre to going right out on my own and having everything on the line all the time. Mm -hmm. And Karen's one of the only people I can talk to who knows what that feels like. Yeah. Because yeah. there's actually not that many people that do it. That are risking, yeah, and it's to that the, level. Um, the emotional drain on you and how much you can push. And it's been so important to be quite emotional now. But to be able to pick up the phone to Karen and to have her tell me 
like in a no bullshit way, go back in there and ask them, or you're not going to get that, or I think this will come in this amount of time, but that doesn't mean that you don't keep asking. Yeah. I value those conversations enormously mm -hmm. and the support that Karen's given me, even in terms of having lunch with my parents in Adelaide and telling them that I was going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. You know, that sort of stuff you can't buy and you can't teach. Yeah. So, you know, Karen certainly helped me when I decided to make the leap out of my comfort zone and she yeah. helped me manage my, my distress. And now I have a company that is international that tours where it wouldn't be happening yeah. without Karen. It just wouldn't because I think I would have not had the courage. Yeah. And when you see someone else, what's the saying? You can't be what you can't see. Mm -hmm. And so seeing Karen overcome all of these things in her career and working so closely with her and you, and that's the, the example just by being around her and watching how uh, courageous she is gives me the courage to go and and look, this might all fall over tomorrow, <laughs> but at least I've tried. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Right, so stop bringing up Karen. Let's talk about your mum. <laughs> my mum! Okay, my mum's been super, super important to me. And and the, the matriarchy influence in my family is big, because my mum and my mum's mum, my nonna. Yeah, because you're of Italian. Italian heritage. Yeah. So um, my mum and her mum are both a huge... Uh, influences on me and my mum is quite amazing she has her own ceramic studio now called nosy rosy <laughs> Great. and she didn't pick up a paint brush until she was 46 Really? So my mum was diagnosed with breast cancer at 45, mm -hmm. and she was work we were working in a family. I say we, even though I was a kid. My mum and dad had an accounting practice, so my mum and dad worked really closely together. And my mum was the secretary and office manager, and she would fire herself and rehire herself regularly. My mum's got a great sense of humour. Say I'm not doing this, and she would answer the phone using different voices. So my mum's very really? funny. <laughs> you know, when people would ring wanting to sell something, she would say, "Oh, I'm sorry, so and so." And accounts isn't here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, and as a kid, I remember sitting there watching her and giggling with my sister and Olivia and Olivia, my sister and I would sit there and we would be the secretaries and we would show people to their seats sure. and, and do all of that stuff with my parents. And then everything changed um, when my mum was was diagnosed and she she was very uh, sick for a while there and she mm. had her treatment and then she just stopped working in the business with my dad. Yeah. Altogether, and my dad continued on his mm -hmm. own and learnt to type with two fingers. Uh, and my mum uh, tried to do a whole bunch of things that people thought would make her feel better. And in the end, she started her own business. Uh, and she has this amazing um, studio where she paints. And lots of people who are going through treatment or whatever now come to my mum's studio, and they're the ones that. Because uh, my mum was never going to do meditation or those dance classes or those other things they make people do. She needed to see some sort of result. And now she has this amazing uh, studio. And I think, uh, you know, my mum's got But it's for too. everyone. It's not for just... No, it's for everyone. But it was it was spurred by that. And I think it's interesting that people that are, are drawn to my mum uh, and that, you know, she's kind of overcome all of that challenge uh, to make her own business and then my dad has his own business so that sense of being able to go out on my own with Briefs Factory I think is very much influenced by my mum and to just change mm -hmm. career. Yeah I think that's interesting that you have the accountancy background and you have the law background <laughs> both yeah. of you it's it's incredible I mean it's it's held you both in good stead hasn't it? Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean I know Edwina for example if I if I'm looking at contracts or anything or, or budgets, she tells me right away, you know, 
well, you go right in there and you say, this is how it's been. <laughs> you know, whereas I'm, sort of, I'm a bit wishy-washy in that way, I think. Yeah. I think it just gave me a bit of confidence, really. Yeah. And actually, any, anyone can work with budgets and contracts. It's just about having confidence. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it all still comes mainly down to common sense and logic. Yeah. But, yeah. but you can often feel like, oh, I'll be baffled by that, or they know more about me, more than this than sure. me. They, they drafted the contract. But actually, in the end, it all comes down to common sense. Mm-hmm. Well, it's also just an agreement between two people. Like, mm-hmm. I remember I used to look at contracts and think, oh, okay, well, this is how it has to be. But actually, it, it's a conversation. Mm-hmm. So you can go back and yeah. challenge things in yeah. a contract. And I don't yeah. feel nervous about doing that anymore. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah exactly. I think what I learned from Karen as well in t- is never giving up. When it, I suppose when it comes to any kind of negotiation, really? or it, actually never giving up. Yeah. And I, I don't often give up. It takes a long time for me to give up, mm. and it takes a long time for me to accept when other people should give up too. Yeah. Yeah. Which, and I do often find that I can be very persuasive, and sometimes that's not a good thing if you feel like you're persuading people to do things that actually really you should have you should have backed out a while ago. Yeah, yeah. But I do often find that I can push and be persuasive, and I'm pretty sure I learned that from Karen. <laughs> the never giving up. Yeah. And, um, and there's always something more you can do or there's always something yeah. more that you can say or offer that mm-hmm. will make something happen that you really need to yeah. happen. Yeah. But one thing that, that I also learned from being here at the Fringe for so many years mm-hmm. is um, the risk-taking on, on new talent. Mm-hmm. And people still always think of Gilded Balloon as a, as a great ground for new talent. Yeah. And when risk comes, when you risk, when you take a risk on new talent, you're then also developing trust and loyalty. Sure. And that's one thing that the Gilded Balloon brand has. Yeah. Um, <coughs> regardless, regardless of whether it's Karen or Katie leading, Gilded yeah. Balloon has a great sense of trust and yeah, it's definitely something that we're still passionate about and yeah. want to continue for sure. And without it. Uh, the opportunities wouldn't exist. So the rest of the mm. sector is desperate for new talent, yeah. but there are very few people willing to take a risk on it or who understand how to develop new talent. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't know, you touched on it, but what as boss of your own company, Linda, have you experienced, what's your experience of being a woman in the arts industry for you? It's interesting. I think now is a good time for women. Uh, in general. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that doesn't mean that there aren't... A much better time. Yes, it is probably getting better, but it doesn't mean that there aren't challenges. It doesn't mean that I don't often walk into meetings and think, okay, I'm the only only woman in this room, even now. Mm -hmm. And as the company grows and expands and we deal more and more with um, bigger art centres and things like that, Mm -hmm. you still find, for the most part... The holders uh, and decision makers and stakeholders are, are men. Yeah. And so uh, one of the challenges I have is how to be taken seriously, particularly when I have briefs that is a, a queer show. I've mm-hmm. got Hot Brown Honey that is the black and mixed race feminist, and now yeah. I have Yana and Lana who's nude and uh, <laughs> in a show about depression. So these are not necessarily things that those uh, decision makers and stakeholders want to talk about anyway. Mm-hmm. And so I have to prove to them that there is a, a, a commercial interest in the show but then of course if I prove that the show uh, can move tickets then the stakeholders that uh, hold the keys to the, the funding purse uh, will then say well then you're commercial and you don't deserve funding so it depends um, you know what I'm trying to achieve in those conversations but mm-hmm. it's 
it's always difficult when people have preconceived notions of how it is that you're going to behave. And I see that moment in meetings always where they look at me and go, oh, I didn't expect her to ask that question. She might actually know what she's talking about. Yeah, and the the attitude suddenly shifts. Yes, but there is a moment, and and I can feel it in the room. Yeah. Uh, And I think people are surprised again by the way in which I will deal with the meeting. I kind of turn a little bit into my dad. (laughs) They don't expect me to ask questions so plainly. Yeah. You know, so there's, it has been remarked to me before that I, that I conduct meetings like a man, which I think is interesting because I don't know what that means. What does that mean? (laughs) I haven't had it for a few years, but there was a period (laughs) of a few months there as when I, when I finally left the art center and started my own business and people would go up to fairs at the end of the show, assuming that I was a secretary. Yeah. Yeah. Oh no. I'm not. And he's like, no, she's actually, if you want to book us, she's in charge. She's not, she's not secretary. She's the producer of this work. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and now everybody knows, and it's fine. But it was it, it was interesting that it took a little while. Yeah, for that. Yeah, and, and it's all about you taking charge, that you having the confidence which you've now got. Yeah, I'm very proud of you. I'm very proud of you both. <laughs> can I just say, very proud. And Edwina, you are now a mummy yourself. Oh yes, I am. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> you are or a you mother. Down to your. I've seen for a while. The fringe is on. <laughs> Sorry, how child. <laughs> change your perception on everything um, well I have a boy who's two and a half so I'm quite aware of, of raising a son mm-hmm. and the importance of raising a, a, a good man for the future and, sure. I, and I actually think that um, people have said to me oh raising boys is easier than raising girls I don't know that that's true and I certainly don't know that that's true in this modern world we need good boys and we need that will become good men Mm -hmm. I think he's probably really lucky because he's going to be raised in this industry and he is going to be surrounded by um, a great balance of strong men and women Um, so I think he's going to be fine (laughs) he'll be be all right I would say that raising a boy is more difficult in the earlier years up until teenage but the opposite is true of raising a girl I think a girl is great in their earlier years this is from experience I mean (laughs) having had one of each but a girl going through puberty is uh, someone else well it's it? not just puberty it's, it's just that time yeah you know um, the teenage years because a boy kind of sails through it he's not that bothered about growing up and you know I think that's my personal experience but you know mm-hmm. others might think yeah. it's it, different but I, I think boy, whether you're raising a boy or a girl now as well is that there's a um, it's a new modern world mm-hmm. and it's a world where with social media and mm-hmm. phones and we made a really conscious decision not to put Leo on social media because yeah. I wanted him to own his own I know, that's online identity yeah. because we didn't do that everyone thought something was wrong yeah. <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> and also thought we were a bit weird or really weird thinking about if I was born and there were just pictures of me since the day that I was born online so you would already until have it. Yeah, yeah, you would already have an online identity without your own yeah weird I think and, just, and I think perhaps as, as a baby that's not that's not doesn't yeah. matter so much but then even as you get older having parents who are mm-hmm. expressing your life online yeah. Yeah. gives you a certain history but we we got to do that ourselves yeah we, Facebook and yeah 
and we even the internet wasn't invented until we were ourselves in our late teens. Yeah, yeah. So we were able to decide what platforms we would be on, what yeah. we would call ourselves, what exactly. we would look like. Yeah. But all of these and young people changed. don't anymore. Yeah. I'm changed. so glad my life at that stage wasn't documented. Oh, God. I know. Tell me about it. I, yeah, I just, wouldn't have wanted it. I mean, be. there's a whole series of photos that will remain in my mother's drawer. That's where they will <laughs> stay. Where they belong, yeah. Um, well, she'll bring them out now and again, no doubt, <laughs> well, to show any of your boyfriends or... <laughs> the great thing about my parents' house is I can just move something and they'll never find it. <laughs> so it's, it's perfect. Uh, the joy of coming from a family of hoarders. But, yeah, I, I, I think... I would find it difficult. Mm, yeah, for sure. It's it's interesting though. I sometimes think about what how would I feel if Leo wanted to be in this industry? Yeah, yeah. It's quite a, it's going to be two and a half. It's quite a little performer, but they all are. Yeah. And but you know, lots of adults and my parents are around. Oh, he's going to be in the theatre. Yeah. He's going to be on the stage. And it's like, no, he won't be. Thank you very much. Um, why you, wouldn't why mind why? him earning some money in his life. Yeah, so he might be a lawyer. He could well, actually, I probably wouldn't encourage that either. Do <laughs> um, something in between. Yeah, something in between. But it's um, it, there's a obviously there's that temptation of thinking of coming into this industry. And mm-hmm. look, I wouldn't. I've chosen to be in this industry. Yeah, I made a real decision to shift, and um, because I love it. Because mm-hmm. I think you have to come to work every day and love what you do. Of course, of course. I love the people that you're working with, mm-hmm. and and also enjoy every part of what you do, whether it's daytime and nighttime. And we do work day and mm-hmm. night yeah but actually with a child that is harder of course like if, when I say to him we say to him I'm going to work it does seem quite weird that the t- times and the hours of the days that I'm off to it's, work yeah um, not reg- as regular as no, a normal no. job no yeah. but he sounds to me the way you've spoken about him that he's a very secure child he doesn't he doesn't seem to he doesn't cry when you leave and no he doesn't but he does ask where I am yes it's well, work. good the other day we were talking about where people well I wasn't there my mother really enjoyed telling me this story she was looking after him that his cousins live in Sydney uh, he lives in Australia mm-hmm. and mummy lives at work <laughs> <laughs> well I know exactly what that's yeah, like that because the same yeah, yeah Katie, Katie experienced that as did Christian mm, didn't yeah, for sure. but that's also a great role model I think that that's another thing that lots of young really young kids now have is because mothers do work yeah, is that yeah. they have great working mother role models from yeah. my point of view though I think I mean, I'm very pleased to say that they forgave me once they got into their 20s, but it did take up until their 20s to actually forgive me for working all the time. And so, you know, all the sort of anger and, you know, me having to spoil them with gifts and everything (laughs) to get them to not... Do you you remember being angry? Yeah, I remember. I mean, because my uncle used to look after me and I would sit at the window staring at the castle because we've got a view of the town and I'd be like... Mum's there. Why is she there? She should be here. And but I was—it was horrible. You were amazing because you would come home at four o'clock in the morning, whatever, and you'd get up at seven to drive me to school in your nighty. <laughs> Not and then surely, whatever, go back to bed for an hour and then go into. You know, it was insane what you did. But yeah, obviously I was inherently selfish as a child yeah. so I was just like why is she not here for me you know mm-hmm. but I also had the most I the, was there for you on the flip side of that I had room. the most incredible people around me and whenever I came to go to Bloom everyone just took me under their wing and it was and you know all these incredible performers you know producers 
people that just were so passionate about what they were doing and I just got stuck in and they were all I loved it loved growing up around it it was an incredible incredible way to grow up it wasn't easy though for you I know that and it wasn't easy for Christian either but hey hey we're here now <coughs> we are that. yeah we've got can't two, been that bad we've got <laughs> two kids on the road with Hopper and Honey oh, and you? I wonder how, yeah and I, I wonder how they feel about mm. the environment just yeah. listening to you talk then Katie I'm like I wonder what those kids I think yeah are thinking yeah uh, but then they're with their parents so their their mother or yeah I don't know how much time do they get to spend well together? I mean we have a, a, a teacher on the road with us because Great, in order to really. take the, the kids out of Australia um, you know yeah, we yeah. have an obligation to yeah. make sure that they um, keep, up with uh, keep up with their schooling so I know that uh, Rico Hope's son got um, an award for his reading yesterday really? online <laughs> reading award and I'm not his mum but I'm really proud because I get these notifications as the producer I'm like Rico you're keeping up with your reading and look he came to a maid in Adelaide reception with us yesterday really? Oh, did you go to that? I might have forgotten. Oh, dear. Um, <laughs> and, and there's another one coming up. But what's really interesting is, um, and he's watched the company expand. So Rico's 10 now. And I've put in place company managers. So as, the, as I've brought on more shows, there's company sure. managers now. And Rico said to me, uh, when uh, Beck first came on board as a Hot Brown Honey company manager, he said, Auntie Linda, I've got it. Because he calls me Auntie Linda, which is super sweet. Mm-hmm. He goes, now that I've got Auntie Beck, what do you do? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Where are you? <laughs> And I have to say, uh, my grandson Finn is down working at the, at the door at the front door, just like his dad used to. Yes, so that's lovely. And he loves it, doesn't he? It's yeah, so he absolutely loves it. He wants to change the face of everything. He tries to tells me what I have to do. He tries to tell me, and I'm like, Finn, don't even start. <laughs> it's an industry, but it's a family too, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, like exactly. I can't believe that I'm still sitting here, and that you and I are the best of friends, and we we might yeah. only see each other twice a year if we're lucky mm-hmm. when you're in Australia or if I'm here yeah but um, and it, but the time in between doesn't matter no exactly we, no, of course so, know each no, other so well it's so yeah. important to have that community as well and it's you know it can be incredibly stressful but things, what happens but during the festival is so intense yeah it feels like, you know, a much longer chunk of time, doesn't it? Because I mean, it's I tour for 40 weeks of a year. Yeah. Everybody knows, you know, the fringe is different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the fringe exactly. sits apart from the other yeah. weeks of touring. So we are in the fringe first week. No, we're just coming well, to the... it is the first week, first really. Mm-hmm. Um, any topics that you've seen yet? Have you been to see anything yet? I've only seen three shows. Oh, nothing that... Mm, nothing, none of them good. Nothing yet. <laughs> Yeah, that I'd say is an extraordinary topic. Give me a few more days. Yeah, well, yeah. obviously, briefs and hot brown oh, well, honey. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, no, no. <laughs> that yeah. goes without saying. Yeah. yeah, three great shows. Yeah, you. How are your shows yeah. doing, Linda? Are you happy? Um, Going okay? Look, I don't know if I'm ever happy. <laughs> Made it to the Wednesday, the first yeah. day with past. With a great big smile on her uh, The yeah. two previews. Look, it's like horse racing, mm. isn't it? All the horses are in the right lanes and they're running in the way that I expected. Yeah. Um, but we won't really know mm-hmm. until yeah, the end. Sure. And do you get, are you going to be going to see stuff here or do you have to just be with your shows? I'm hoping that I can start seeing stuff on Friday. Great. That everyone will be uh, super stable yeah. by then. And it's been an interesting time because we've had an injury in Breeds, mm. injury in Hot, Hot Brown Honey. Honey. Yeah. So, and it's Yana's uh, first year. Yeah, how's she getting on? Here. Um, she's doing really well. Yeah. This is really the first time she's been here. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. I know, isn't it? Yeah. She's, she's an wow. incredible. Well, I then love you'd that have show. to put that on the top of a hit list. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, Yana I mean, Alana, Sarah Ward, amazing performer. This yeah. would be the first of many years, mm-hmm, surely. Sure. Yeah. The, the show's really extraordinary. Yeah. But what's interesting is it's easy to manage, you know, a broken ankle but when you're talking about someone who has a history of uh, mental health issues mm-hmm. going into a show where she's naked mm-hmm. uh, performing in a fringe yeah. where people who don't have mental health issues develop them yeah. it's a really um, yeah. interesting time for me as producer and it's sure. really crunch time for the company mm-hmm. so I don't ever feel comfortable coming into Edinburgh. Sure. As long as you don't have to sit all night and talk to her. Um, no, her partner's here. Beth. Although that's great. Yeah. yeah so she has that. She has that support. But for me, it's just about going. Okay, how do I manage um, what the fringe is? Yeah. For that team of people. And yeah. The show's so great. Yeah, it is a great uh, show. You know, and then we're flying the hive. Yeah. Which is, <laughs> you know, in, uh, what she's talking about. <laughs> Is the hive is where hot burn honey weave in and out of. It's and it's, a massive it's set piece made up beautiful, of. Beautiful, beautiful. And we fly it up the beach. Can you imagine, yeah. Edwina, when you ran it, the first day the wire broke and oh dear, we're not going to go there. <laughs> And Let's uh, not. yes, because <laughs> it was making me impossible. It's been a impossible. bit of a headache, can I just say? But I think it's going to be okay now. And it was that thing before when Edwina says, you know, like we, when we say no, we look for. It. I've been trying to get that show here for years into sure. that room. Yeah. And I was always told it wouldn't fit. Mm-hmm. And then Karen went, well, why don't we? Why don't we see if we can fly? Uh, the set piece mm-hmm. and so well, okay we've had a few hiccups but yeah. it's, as of last night yeah yeah I think it's working, it's working yeah. properly amazing yeah. it, it actually it's crazy. really it's, it's craziness it's, it's hard to articulate on a podcast yeah. Like yeah. how mental yeah exactly yeah. it is crazy that is but it is it's working it's working and we have the wonderful Louisa Omelon afterwards, afterwards. and uh, I think she's happy yeah, well, we're interviewing her next, I think, oh. so we'll be, we'll find out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She'll certainly tell us. Yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing her show. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to see it tonight, her. I think, actually. Mm. Can I just say, as I said again, I am very, very proud of you both. Everything you've gone on to do, and I hope you both go on to do thank you even sh- greater things. Yeah, yeah and thank, thank you, you so much for your support of me as well. I mean, you've been... You know, I've been born and brought up with you as well, so. But that's what it's all about. Just keep asking. Yeah. Yeah, and I feel like. And and I've got so many. (laughs) There's so many people that I can go to that are mentors that have come through Go to Blue before, and it's just amazing Mm -hmm. to grow that community for sure. And even if we don't know the answers, we could always listen. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Or know someone who does. Don't talk to me, but talk to her. (laughs) And let's face it, there's never a problem, only a solution. wise words from Karen there. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, you so very much. much. Thanks for having us. Cheers. Bye. Bye-bye. Mama said there'll be days like this, there'll be days like this, Mama said.